Mac Power Users, Episode 195, Cloud Data and Syncing. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie. Hey, David. How are you? I'm glad to behind, uh, be behind this microphone today. I've, I've missed podcasting with you. Yeah, see, the, the secret that many of the listeners don't know is that we haven't actually done a show together for two or three weeks now. We uh, yeah. we both had very crazy um, months of May, and so we had a bunch of these shows recorded in advance, and I've really missed it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, but we're back, and uh, we've got a little bit of business, and then we want to talk in detail about the current state of cloud data and syncing. Uh, but the business part, uh, we have a live show coming up on June 7th at 10 a.m., Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. So that's Saturday after the show goes out. Those yes. shows are getting really good. I'm really enjoying those shows. So you can join us in the chat room for that show. Uh, you can find more information and how that translates into your time zone by going to 5x5.tv slash live. Uh, you can find the Google Calendar with all that information on there. Um, and there's probably still time, if you hear this uh, recording pretty quickly after it's released, to send us any tips that you have or any questions that you have. I've got a few, I'm have in process right now for creating the outline for that show. So if you've got something that you want added, uh, we'd love those audio comments specifically. And that yeah. voice that voice recorder app on the iPhone does a good job of recording those. Um, so keep them short. Keep them sweet. Uh, try to record in a nice, quiet background. But you can send those as an audio attachment to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And we'll try to include as many of those as we can, um, if not this show, in the next show. And we get a really nice group of live listeners in the chat room. And it's, it's actually quite fun. So if you want to spend some time on Saturday being a geek, come join us. It'll yeah. be fun. The other kind of bookkeeping thing that I've got to talk about is I am just shocked and amazed and thrilled that our Google Plus community, probably by the time this show comes out, has reached 1,000 members. We're, we're hovering at about 950 as we record this about a week in advance, and I, I have just been overwhelmed. I, I try to go in there a couple of times a day, and the discussion that is going on in there, people are posting their problems, their questions, their tips, and people are answering, and it, it's just – I'm, I try to contribute. I know you try to contribute when you can, but this community has just evolved around Mac Power users and people are commenting on the shows and sharing their setups and sharing their favorite apps and sharing solutions to problems. And uh, it's exactly what I hoped it would become. And, and thank you to all of you who are uh, contributing and joining. And you can find, you know, Google Plus has really long, crazy URLs. You can either just search for us in Google Plus um, or if you go to our website, MacPowerUsers.com, there's a link right on the side um, of the website there that will, will take you right to that Google plus community. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be more active in that Katie. I haven't been very good lately. I've, I'm trying to finish a book and I'm in the middle of a, like a three week trial. So my life has been a little crazy for about the last two months, but I'm going to get in there. I'm going to, I'm going to put a picture of my desk in there and people, uh, cause I guess a lot of people are doing that. I think that would be fun to, uh, to kind of put our setups in there. Yeah, anyway, I need to I, do that. I need to take a good picture, though. I don't want a bad yeah, picture. That's one of my problems is I'm I'm working such long hours. I'm rarely home when it's light out. And I don't want to take the picture with, you know, incandescent light. I want, you know, sunlight in the room when I take that picture. Don't you uh, have those those fancy Internet light bulbs or something that you can change? Yeah, color? it's not the same, though. I want I want actual sunlight. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's a whole nother story. Uh, go check it out, everybody, and, and, and get active in the Google Plus group. It's, it's actually quite fun. And uh, so let's get back to the show today, though. Um, we've talked a few times over the years about syncing data. And I really feel like 
the syncing thing has really emerged with our show in a lot of ways. As our show has matured, so has syncing. When we first started doing the Mac Power Users, syncing was like a real difficult thing to do. And it seems like every time we come back to this topic on the show, we've got some new things to share and, and new ways that it's even easier than before. And uh, that's, why I think, why it's worth going back and taking another look at it. So, so why would you store data in the cloud to begin with, Katie Floyd? Well, you know, sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing it. And we should talk about syncing. You can sync with multiple sources. And, and most people think about syncing to some kind of cloud solution. But you can sync with lo local solutions as well. And we'll talk about these. So I, I think in this episode, we're going to talk both about cloud data and local data and, and all kinds of different syncing solutions. But why you might well, want to... Let me interrupt, yeah, let me interrupt right there, though, for a minute. That is an interesting shift because when we started our show, when you said syncing data, the immediate thing people thought about was plugging one Mac into another Mac and making sure the data files were the same. Right. Whether it was through a local network, through a cable, or literally just plugging them in together, which you used to be able to do with the FireWire cable. And and the exception at the time was cloud syncing. But the first thing you say is, well, when you think about syncing, you think about cloud. I think that's happened. That shift has happened already. And and now you start seeing a little bit of a shift away from it, even as people start getting concerned about their privacy and and have we are we pulling back now because we've maybe put a little too much information on the cloud. So yeah, and we are, are considerations. And we well. are going to we are going to cover that before this shows up. We've got that in the outline. I want to talk about security with this cloud. But but obviously the the why would you want to sync things? There's certainly a huge convenience factor. I mean now even me as just a, a single individual living. Uh, here alone in this house, I've got two Macs. I've got a laptop and I've got a, a Mac mini and I have two iOS devices. I have a, uh, an iPhone and I have an iPad and I guess I have an iPod that I also sync music to back and forth. And I also have a NAS drive and I've, I mean, and I've got various flash drives and I've got various cloud syncing solutions. And th that's just to keep one person going. And I know David in, in your household, you can take those number of devices and you can multiply them by, by four and, and maybe more because you may have, you know, individually more devices than, than even I do. And it can start getting out of control when you start thinking about where is my stuff? And if I want to access XYZ file that I worked on, you know, is it on my computer? Is it on my other computer? Is it on my iOS device? Or is it up in the cloud somewhere? And, and how do I match all of these things up? And, and that's why syncing came into place. And syncing is, is great not only for individual documents and files, but, but also for information. I don't know where I would be now without the ability to sync things like contacts and, and calendars. And for a while, it seemed like that was really hard. But I, I think, you know, we've done whole shows on contacts and calendars. It, it seems like we finally have gotten that figured out. Yeah, and and the, I blame the mobile revolution partly for this explosion of syncing because, you know, now – a lot of people have more than one computer. I mean, for a long time, a computer was something you saved a lot of money for, you bought and you held on to it until it just didn't work anymore. And then you bought another computer, but you never had two at the same time. I mean, I'm not talking about the super geeks out there. I'm talking about, you know, the normal people. And all of a sudden, those people started getting smartphones and tablets and laptops got cheaper and blah, blah, blah. And they needed a way to get the data across. And and I think that's one of the reasons why this became such a thing the last few years. But, you know, there's other advantages, too, like Katie Floyd. You just were telling me before we started that you had the Tanuk and pave your computer. Yeah. In fact, I tweeted about this, and I know some people have asked me about it. Um, 
I, I wrote this all up and it will be in Don McAllister's Screencast Online Monthly Magazine that comes out for the month of June. So about the same time the show comes out, you can download his magazine and, and read. I think I wrote about a 2,000-word article about this experience. But I, I was just having some general wonkiness with my computer. And you know that happens over time. And decided to do a nuke and pave. And we've done a couple of shows on this. I think Mac from Scratch is a, a show that we've done a, a couple of years ago now about the process of erasing a machine and starting from scratch or getting a new machine and starting completely from scratch. And I knew that this process had gotten easier. It probably been three, four years since I had done it before. But still, I had decided that I was going to set aside a particular day. You know, I had a free Saturday. We weren't recording a podcast. And so I had set aside this entire day to nuke and pave and erase my machine and restart it from scratch. And David, I was shocked that I was done in about two hours. I mean, obviously not counting the time for, for backups and for actual, you know, downloading the OS because that in itself took at least about an hour for each part of that. But the actual time that I spent setting up machine took me somewhere between two and three hours. And I really didn't, I didn't realize how much of my data was in the cloud or accessible via all of these cloud services that made that erase and reinstall experience so easy. Um, some of that data was just my documents folder was stored on my transporter and all of my um, – not all, but many of my applications that I re-downloaded uh, came from the Mac App Store. So it was just as simple as logging into the Mac App Store and, and downloading them. Um, as soon as I set up the computer, the first thing it asked me for was my Apple ID and password. And so by the time the computer was up and running, I already had my uh, email account, my contacts, and my calendars had already come over and synced over. And um, all my internet accounts and some of my system preferences had already synced over because I had multiple computers set up. And so it already pulled in um, my my email client setting information. And because I use IMAP, all of my email was already coming in sync. I mean, so that was huge. I mean, within just a few minutes of turning this computer on because of these cloud services that I used, I had my documents, my contacts, my calendars, my email, and all of that stuff was back. And I just, you know, hit the process of click, click, click to start start downloading applications. It was amazing. It's, it's, it's easy to take that for granted. I mean, if you, if you think back just a few years, the whole process of just getting the email and your contacts and it was a massive undertaking fraught with peril. I, I have to admit though, I have a sickness. I, I enjoy like rebuilding a Mac from scratch. It's been a long time since I've done it, but I think the process is fun. It, it is fun. And, um, I tell you though, you start to get tired of it. So I, I got to say, between two and three hours was was just the right right for me. You know, it was uh, it was fun, but not overwhelming. It's it's got so cloud based that now the exception are the things that don't come over through the cloud, like your Hazel rules or a couple yes. things. I mean, it's just a few things uh, that you need to make sure when you do that. Well, anyway, let's start talking about some of these services, and I think we should start with the one that probably. Uh, most, I guess it's most commonly used with all of our listeners because we're the Mac Power users. It would be the Apple iCloud. And that is a, a interesting service. They've gone through many iterations over the years. So what was it? Um, what was the first name? Something Tools. What did they call it? iTools. iTools. That's right. And then I think was it there it went to Mobile Me? No, no. Before that, it was, was dot .Mac. Dot .Mac. And then Mobile Me. Yeah, then Mobile Me. And now, now we're iCloud. at iCloud. And it, it has really evolved over the years. One of my first comments about the iCloud service is um, it gets beat up a lot, frankly, by a lot of podcasters. And 
I'm not sure that's entirely justified. Uh, there are parts of it that need work, but one of the problems with iCloud as consumers and, and people interested in this stuff is it's a very small word covering a great variety of services. Well, and it keeps getting bigger. Uh, it, you know, iCloud used to really just be email contacts calendar sync, and and now it's so much more than that. Yeah, and let's take that for an example, contact sync. Um, and I'm sure that there's some people out there that have had truly dreadful contact syncing disasters with iCloud. I, I just don't think you have a service with that many people without some problems. But I've never had a problem with contact sync and calendar sync with iCloud. It's just been rock solid for me. And and we use it pretty hard in our house. I mean, I have hundreds of contacts and my whole family ha each has their own iCloud calendar and we synchronize them and we share events and, you know, we, we are power users of that stuff and it just works. Just no problems. Yeah, I, I agree. You're quiet. No, you have problems I, with it? I have nothing else to say. You're yeah, right. Okay. So, that, so that's one portion of iCloud. And then there's a portion of iCloud that syncs data between applications and we, I want to talk about that in a minute. Then there's another portion that wants to become like a big data, a core data store, which is uh, like a uh, an online synchronized database that applications can use. And that's never really worked right. I mean, we've heard from a lot of app developers that sunk a lot of money into trying to make it work, and they never, and they finally gave up on it. Um, so th there's parts of this that need work, and there's parts of it that don't. And and then you look at the the, the sheer number of people using the service and it's kind of impressive but I, I don't know i think i think icloud gets a bum rap in some ways yeah i would agree i mean they seem to have really mastered some of their their core features which was the contacts the calendars the bookmark syncing and now they do some keychain syncing where they do the the icloud what is it called keychain is it just called keychain syncing yeah where they fancy generate name. passwords and manage your passwords for you Right, but that all syncs between multiple devices as well. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, th but there are parts of it that still do need work. And then there's the whole scaling issue. Apple has millions and millions of people using these devices. It's not like a startup that says, we're going to come up with this great service. Like photo sharing is one of the examples. And I don't really want to go down that, that right now because we've talked about it and other podcasts talk about it. But, you know, the idea of really managing your photos for you. If we were starting up as a web service and we were going to say, we're going to manage all your photos for you, upload all your photos, and we'll always take care of them and we'll sort them and you can share them and do all this great stuff. That would be one thing because we would start out with, you know, maybe a thousand people that try our service. If Apple decides to do that, they're going to have millions of people from the first day. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, getting iCloud off the ground is not a simple task. It's, it is steering a battleship in a lot of ways just because the, the sheer number of users they have. Well, and you, you talked about PhotoStream and uh, without going down that rat hole and getting too deep into that, we, you know, we did a whole, whole show on, on photo solutions. I don't know that we came to any solutions at the end of the show, but we at least talked yeah. about it. A Apple does more than just data and, and syncing. There's, there's iTunes Match now. Um, which is all of your music, or at least up to, is it 2,500? No, 25,000 songs, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll go up into yeah. iTunes Match. So for most people, that's all their music, although not everybody. Um, they're storing all of your app purchase information. They're storing um, uh, 
iTunes in the cloud or, or I don't remember what it is called, the downloads in the cloud where you can re-download um, videos and purchased music and purchased songs and uh, purchased movies back from the cloud um, and also backup, backup for iOS devices. That's a lot of data. Yeah. But on syncing, I want to circle back to your data files in document uh, type applications like the iWork apps. Now, do you and, use that so very much? You're talking about when I save something in in typical Mac OS fashion. Um, before, when you save something, you would say, this is where I want to save it to. I want to save it to my documents folder and into my Mac Power Users folder. And now right. I have a, now I have a second option where I can also save it into iCloud. Yeah. On an app by app basis. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it. I have found that to be tremendously useful. And I like the idea, and, and frankly, because I work with a lot of people who aren't very geeky, uh, I like the idea of getting them on the system where it's just on their various devices. Uh, yesterday, we're recording this on Memorial Day. And um, so yesterday on Sunday, the before Memorial Day, I went down to San Diego to be with some family. And right before we got in the car, I had an email from a client with kind of an emergency type problem. And I needed to get a contract done very quickly. And I didn't want to be bringing my big, you know, laptop with me all day. And so I sat down at my Mac for 15 minutes before we left. And I got the outline, the skeleton of this contract together, saved it to iCloud. And then I got Daisy to drive. And I just sat in the back seat, opened up my iPad and picked up that document right where it was just because of the iCloud service. And by the time we got to San Diego, the problem was solved. And that's, to me, that is really fantastic that I don't have to think about this stuff anymore. I can start something somewhere and finish it somewhere else. Now, I've got to ask you two questions related to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number one, what what app were you using? Were you using like a ByWord or something like that that synced uh, data back and forth? No, in that case, we were doing a, a contract, so I used Pages. Okay. And then sitting in the back seat of a car is, is not the most easy place to, to type up a contract. Were you uh, using an iPad-specific keyboard? Uh, totally, yes. totally off topic, I know. Yeah, I was. But people was. are going to ask. Yeah, so which, well, I which have, one? I have uh, the Belkin case. I reviewed it on Max Sparky. Like, oh, this is the iPad mini case? Ago. Yeah. No, okay. no, no. This is oh, for no. the iPad Air. Oh, that's right. You have the iPad and, Air, yeah. And it's a Belkin with a built-in keyboard, and I, I like it. It does the job when I need a keyboard case. You can you can hold it in your lap. And, <laughs> and you know, one of the tricks I did was I put together – the the rough outline of it with a lot of I even was copying emails and things into it from the various correspondence. So I had some of the text and ideas already in this one pages document and I was able to do some cut and paste and some typing and some editing and it came together just fine. And I'm really anal when I make documents about document styles and formatting. Yeah, I think I, I want, are, are you being serious right now? No, I am absolutely serious. I, I Mr. like Mr. Really, plain text. No, when I'm going to make a contract, I want it really to have really great typography. So I've, you know, one of the things I did, and this is this is a shortfall of iOS um, pages, is you can't make adjustments. You can apply styles, but you can't make adjustments to them. So on the Mac, I set the typography for heading and title style and body text exactly how I wanted it. So then I could just very quickly go and apply them with my finger in the um, iPad as we were driving down. I figured yeah, you I, sent I, all your clients' contracts and markdown and said, here, figure it out yourself. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I, I like, I like, you know, I like plain text, but when you're going to produce something, it's going right. to look good. Yeah. yeah. 
But anyway, so that's just an example. But the like mind note is another one where I like to this um, these cooking ideas thoughts where I'm always opening up a mind map and making little adjustments and changes to it. And once again, with the iCloud sync, the stuff is just done. I can open my phone if I, something occurs to me I want to add to a mind map, and I'm just out out and about. I'll just open my phone. I'll add it really quick in my note, and then I'll close it. When I open it up on my Mac or my iPad later, it's automatically there. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to push any buttons. It just happens. And that's really quite remarkable that it works as well as it does. One of the complaints that we often hear about using iCloud for document storage is well, with several complaints, really. Number one is it, it's really isolated when it's in iCloud. If you create a Pages document, it's in Pages. You can't open it in another application. If you create a ByWord document, it's in ByWord. If you create, you know, everything is, is sandboxed into the specific apps that they were used to create them. It's it's still difficult, although not impossible, but still difficult to share things between apps. And yeah, it, they need to work on that. They do. They need, and, and it's only got one layer of folders. So you can have one folder layer. So for instance, in pages, in fact, most of the stuff that I do stuff on that involves both work and Max Sparky, I've got like a work admin folder, a work matters matter, a Max Sparky folder, a field guide folder. And I just keep things in there. But I, I try to use just those folders. And, and frankly, I try to use those applications as a temporary holding place, the iCloud storage. I don't I normally keep the stuff in there forever. So since this this contract, once I finished it and we were done and uh, had a phone call with the client, everybody's happy, sent off a PDF, and then I will save the actual pages document to a folder on my storage device for that client and it'll just stay there. Right. And the that's what I was going to say is I tend to use iCloud for documents that are currently in progress or documents that I'm actively working on. And then once they're done, they get moved out of iCloud because iCloud is still very segregated both on the Mac and on iOS from the rest of your files. Because if you look in the finder, unless you are on the tab that says show me all files or you're doing a specific search or you're doing a specific tag, you're not going to see your iCloud files sitting in your documents folder because they're not there. Yeah, and that's, a, a I think, a bigger problem on iOS than it is on the Mac. And we're all looking at iOS 8 coming down the road and frankly, just a few weeks. Actually, this show is going to publish. Uh, it's, we're going to find out a lot about iOS just a few days after the show publishes. But the um, are they going to make sharing between applications easier? Part of me says that they will, and part of me says they don't really care that much about that. Yeah, everything could change. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, so let's not speculate too much since that's going to be answered in a few days. All right. Well, uh, so iCloud, it's got some really great parts. It's got some okay parts, and it's got some parts that need a lot more work. Um, it, it's free to start, and but it's pretty easy to run out of data. That's one of my gripes with iCloud is I think they should have higher uh, data tiers. Yeah, five gigabytes is, is what everybody gets for free, and and then you can start going up from there. So you can add an additional 10 for $20 a year, so you get 15 total. You can add additional 20 for $40 a year, so you get 25 total. Um, and then it goes up from there. And I think you can add an additional 50 for $100 a year if I've, if I've got my pricing right. But it, it gets very expensive very quickly. I and mean, especially, I, I know for me, a, a big bulk of that space is taking up um, with backups, both backups yeah. and mail. If you're archiving your mail in iCloud. 
And they sell these massively, you know, well, they sell these devices with a lot of memory on them. But then they... I've heard several people advocate that perhaps, you know, Apple should increase your your free iCloud space based on the total, you know, gigabytes worth of of devices that you've purchased. So, for example, if you purchase a 32 gigabyte iPhone, then that should be your starting point for for iCloud. I'm it's a it's a reasonable idea, but you know, can Apple really afford to give away that much free data space to to everybody who has these millions and millions and millions of iPhones out there? I don't know. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. They can afford it. <laughs> I mean, come on. They can afford it. I, I, I guess the bigger question is, do they have enough um, places built to manage that amount of data? Yeah, you know, Do they have enough network locations? They're pretty secretive about that. Just, just because they can do a thing doesn't necessarily mean they should do a thing. Um, you know, obviously, the consumers would like them to do a thing, but it, it may not be in, in their best interest. Oh, I think it's totally in their best interest to have their devices just back up. It's, it's a selling point. I mean, they, they make all their money off selling this hardware. And when you get – just yesterday at the family thing, somebody said, I love my iPhone, but it nags me every day about storage space, and I hate that. It, it, this person, it wouldn't have occurred to them just to spend another, you know, 20 bucks. But, you know, I, I just don't think that's really a good experience. I think they can afford to make it so when you buy, when you spend hundreds of dollars on one of their devices, uh, that they've got the backup solution taken care of. I think photos needs to get there too, but that's, like I said, a whole other discussion. But Well, we, we they, talked about this in the photo show. I can't tell you how many people I know, and I'm sure you know them as well, who have never plugged their iPhone into a computer, who have never offloaded their photos, and their photos live on their iPhone. Yeah. And when they get a new iPhone, they hope that they all sync over, but most of the time they don't. And when they run yeah. out of space... They either go back and start deleting photos or they go and get a new iPhone. So if Apple did a good job of making it so you can back all of those up, uh, they could also implement a system where it starts auto-deleting them at a certain point off your phone and then you can go get them on the web. Or something. I'm sure there's a solution to this. Something like $120 billion in the bank. I think they could solve that problem. Well, they got to go buy Beats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that when the whole Beats thing started started up and once again since we're recording this a week earlier who knows where it'll stand by the time the show airs but three billion for uh, lousy headphones you know well okay whatever I, i'm sure they've got a plan but man i would like to see them spend a big chunk of money hiring some really really smart engineers that could make them google class cloud service provider if that's possible i think that's what they should do but i've been saying that for years So we've done entire shows in the past, and, and I don't know that we really need to dig into it, about separate services like PhotoStream, like iTunes Match. Um, I don't know that it warrants its whole show, but we've certainly talked about using the App Store for purchases to easily reinstall apps. Uh, certainly, it's all part of Apple's ecosystem. Do you consider that part of iCloud? or? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it really, like you you just experienced, it makes it ridiculously easy to rebuild your Mac. Right. I mean, there, there's two kinds of apps in my mind. There's the utility apps and games and the things that that make a ton of sense to buy through the App Store, like Shush, you know, the, the little app we use to mute our microphones when we cough. Um, it, you, you know, a few years ago, you would have gone to some website, bought that app, 
uh, paid the guy through a credit card or some transaction that made you feel just a little bit jinky because you're not sure who this guy is and where he is and all that. And and then you'd have to remember the website and you'd have to keep the you know downloadable file or the installation file. And when you rebuild your Mac, you got to go search out all those those websites and get that stuff again. Whereas now you just open the App Store and you just start clicking boxes. And within a few minutes, you've got most of your utility apps installed, right? Uh, second category to me are the big apps that cost a lot of money and are going to get updates in the future. And or may have some utility that goes beyond the sandboxing requirements that Apple puts on these apps. And we've talked about this before, but the real short version is Apple wants the apps to be more secure, so they limit the access an application has. If you sell an app through the App Store, it can't just willy-nilly go attack your computer and take whatever it wants. Apple's got very particular requirements, and some applications work fine with sandboxing, and some don't. And um, the ones that don't just don't get sold in the App Store. So that second category are things like OmniFocus, which just I just bought my update for that, and I bought it from the Omni Group. I didn't buy it in the App Store. Uh, even though they have some of these apps for sale in the App Store, those bigger apps I will generally buy outside of the App Store. Well, because you want to make sure that you can take advantage of upgrade pricing and things like that in the future. And I know developers have come up with some creative ways to try to get around this, but it's, it's kind of always a, a cat and mouse game a little bit. Yeah. But boy, uh, the although, convenience of the App Store is so nice. And like we have multiple Macs in our house and – you know, my kids are really into video, and so when I bought Final Cut, they can just download it on their computers, and it's not a big deal. But I tell you, you know, something that was a, a huge help for me. You know, for example, One Password I bought through the Mac App Store a while ago. Yeah. And um, so yes, I did have to re-download it, but all of my information either already came down through iCloud or already came down as soon as I downloaded the app. And as soon as I downloaded the app, I had all of my software registration numbers, all of my passwords, all of that information. Boom, done. It was huge. Isn't that great? It's great. I, I'm so glad I'm doing um, – at first I kind of poo-pooed the idea of 1Password sync through iCloud. And now I'm a total believer. I mean, before, and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, I did have to download Drop. I mean, before, Dropbox was the first thing that I put on my Mac. Yeah. And I had to know my Dropbox password, and I had to get Dropbox installed. And and I still put Dropbox on fairly early in the process, but I was about 30 minutes in, and I went, huh, I haven't installed Dropbox yet. Okay, I better hey, go you, do that. You know what I call that? I call that a segue. Okay. But should we do an ad first? Yes, yes. So Okay. The show has an exclusive sponsor, our friends over at Smile Software, and uh, their family of products called PDF Pin. And I'm going to talk about PDF Pin for Mac. Uh, PDF Pin for Mac is the application I use every day to manage PDFs in my day job and my night job. Um, it's a, just a great application. It allows you to annotate and highlight uh, PDFs. You can redact. You can draw on them. It has a really cool correction library. So when I get documents and I want to send them to an editor, I can just drop in the correction uh, little uh, artwork on the document and send it to them, which makes me look really smart and clever. Uh, it also allows you to sign documents right on your Mac. So you can just drop in your signature and send it back. You're great. Uh, if it, if you, someone sends you a PDF that has OCR uh, text in it, and they've made a mistake. You don't have to start the wheel from scratch. You can just go right into the text. You can type in a little change to it and save it and send it off. 
you can actually fix text in a PDF, which I think is pretty great. I use that all the time. Uh, perhaps my favorite feature is this ability to export a document to Word. In fact, I didn't tell you the whole story about my little emergency yesterday. Uh, so they sent me a contract that was a mess and I needed to fix it. And of course, they didn't send it to me as a Word document. They sent it to me as a PDF because they didn't want me to try and get in and fix it. So uh, before we went in my little 15-minute fire drill before I left, I took the uh, contract and opened it in PDF pen and I converted it to a Word document. And then I took that and, and brought it into pages. So that was a little workflow I had. And so it's, it's almost like magic. You get it back, it, it captures the art, it does the columns, it does a lot of work for you. Um, another nice feature with PDF pen for Mac is it's Apple script friendly. And we've seen that even just over the last few months, people talking about Apple scripts to help them automate their process. For instance, the OCR stuff, a lot of people get a bunch of documents or PDFs that are not OCR. Uh, Katie and I have both written about a nice little Apple script that can take those documents automatically OCR them for you just using PDF pen. It's really a, a remarkable application. And because they're on multi-platform, iCloud Sync works really great. In fact, here's another example, Katie, of iCloud Sync. And Katie's going to talk about PDF Pen on iOS in just a minute. But the idea is when you're on your Mac and you've got a PDF open, you can save it to the iCloud storage through PDF Pen for the Mac. And then when you go over to your iPhone or your iPad, you can just pick up where you left off. You don't have to push any buttons. It just happens. And this is another feature, Katie, that I use all the time because I'm always moving between offices and people. And there's nothing greater than being at a lunch appointment and pulling out your iPad and showing somebody a contract you were just annotating on an hour earlier on your Mac. Um, if you need the Pro features, there's a version called PDF Pen Pro. It's got even more. You can create fillable PDF forms. You know how you get those forms in the mail sometimes, and they have the, the, the form lines on them? You can create them right in this application. It's a very pro-level feature. Uh, you can create and edit tables of contents, which is something I do, again, quite often. I, I make really big PDFs, so I like to have tables of contents so I can flip through them really quick. And when you're giving something to a judge, if you put those table of contents in, they really appreciate it. And since they're the guy deciding the case, I want them to uh, be happy. Uh, you can convert a website to a PDF. You can edit document permissions. That's a new thing they added with PDF Pen Pro. It's it's really a great application. Uh, the pricing is uh, just $60 for the standard version, $100 for the Pro version. That's a fraction of the cost of the other professional-level PDF applications out there, and it's got you know, a great feature set. So go check out PDF pin for the Mac. You can download a free trial at uh, smilesoftware.com slash MPU. And please go to uh, slash MPU there because it makes us look great. And we all obviously want to look pretty good, right, Katie? And uh, check it out and check out PDF pin for the Mac. It's going to solve all your PDF problems on your Mac. Thanks, Smile. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the other cloud solution, and that is Dropbox. And Dropbox is, when it came out, it was really the only thing of itself, and like itself. And it was a little bit magical because at that time, the only thing we had like that was iDisk, which by comparison was just awful. Yeah, well, it was like iDisk done right. So the way Dropbox works is you get two gigabytes for free, and then it goes up from there. You get 100 gigabytes for 100 bucks a year, 200 gigabytes for 200 bucks a year, 500 gigabytes for 500 bucks a year. And you have a, a folder 
on your Mac, your Dropbox folder, and then you can add additional folders in there. And anything that goes in that Dropbox folder or a subfolder within that Dropbox folder gets synced both to the Dropbox cloud service and to wherever that folder happens to be. So if you have that folder on your Mac at work or if I've shared that folder with David, it will get synced to David's machine. Um, and I can share folders with multiple people. I can share folders with the world at large and I can have a public folder. I can keep folders private just with myself and share them only with my machines. Um, and then within those, I can take individual files and choose to share just individual files out with people. And Dropbox was really the first of its kind and they also worked very tightly with developers, and they've created APIs. So you started seeing um, app developers come out with uh, services that use Dropbox as a syncing platform. Um, we talked about 1Password uses either Dropbox or iCloud to sync their 1Password keychain file. You'll also see Byword, for example, has the ability to sync either with iCloud or with Dropbox. Um, many different text editors um, Tons of applications have the ability to use Dropbox as their platform for syncing. And a lot of well, developers have actually chosen to use Dropbox over iCloud as their syncing platform. Yeah. Go ahead. Let me just back up for a minute. I, when they first came out, I thought SugarSync was out before Dropbox, but I may be wrong. I, You know, it might have been, but I, I, SugarSync didn't work exactly the same way, I don't think. Well, it, it was different in the sense that SugarSync would go to existing files or folders on your drive and you would assign them SugarSync syncing status. And so it was more complicated, frankly, because you had to decide what you were going to sync and what you didn't. I thought one of the, the genius parts of Dropbox was the simplicity. It's just one folder on your Mac. If you put something in there, it's in the cloud. And you know, we, we talked about this ages ago on our show that it was even just like a rudimentary backup if nothing else you got the free two gigabyte account and you put everything that you were doing that was really important in there if you didn't have any other backup system at least you had that um and but they, they really kind of just took it up and for very quickly dropbox you know got much bigger than the sugar sinks and the other competing services when this was a new thing um now icloud had I'm sorry, it was Mobile Me or actually I'm sorry, it was Dot Mac. I had to I had to work through that whole thing, Katie. No, it was Dot Mac that had the iDisc feature, which was definitely before Dropbox. Yeah, and I think Mobile Me had the iDisc too. I think iDisc finally died with iCloud. Yeah, well, either way. So with Dot Mac is where I thought it was the first time I saw a service like this that it put a drive on your Mac, and you could put something in there and it would save it to your Dot Mac account. But the upload and download speeds were horrendous, and it was great for like a pages file. You know, if you just wanted to put a pages file up there, it was was just fine. But if you did had anything of any volume in there, it, it just never worked really well. So, so Dropbox kind of grew out of all of that stuff, and it became something. The other thing I think Dropbox did. So, so the first I think key to their success was the simplicity of it. Uh, the other two pieces, so I see to their success is number one is they were the first company to really embrace mobile platforms. I mean, when the iPad released, I was really excited about the iPad. I was really disappointed in Apple's solution for syncing documents to it. And that was when you had to just drag things in iTunes onto a drive. You had to plug it in and all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I, I'm sure there's a good reason why they they couldn't do better at that time. But Dropbox very shortly after the iPad came out, released these APIs Katie was talking about. And as a result now, 
nearly every application that you can buy in the App Store that has a requirement of syncing data or accessing data from somewhere else is using Dropbox. I mean, I think that I, I'm, I can't think of the last app I've bought that had syncing hooks in it that did not use Dropbox. You would no, think? I, think, I think that's true. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing that Dropbox, I think makes them really special is they're the only, they're the only major syncing service out there that doesn't have a dog in the platform wars, you know, like iCloud is great when you're working on Macs and iPads and iPhones. iCloud isn't so great when you're sitting at a windows PC. Um, and just like some of the other services we're going to talk about, the Google service is great for the Google platform and the windows service is great for the Microsoft platform. So, but you know, Dropbox is kind of the one that, that spans all the platforms. And and those three things make it really a force. I would say, well, certainly there are other sync services that expand all of the platforms. I think Dropbox is probably the most widely used in terms of its API. And that's important because if you buy an app and it doesn't, if you have a service, say you're into SugarSync, but you get your favorite whatever app, your comic reading app, and it, it doesn't have a hook to SugarSync, well, then that service doesn't work for you anymore. Right. Okay, that was kind of a rant, but but so where have we got with Dropbox at this Dropbox point? It's fanboy. No, it, no, it, it's really come a long way. I mean, I I notice more and more frequently people that I come across in my day job who just take for granted that everybody in the room knows what Dropbox is. I think that's that's probably becoming more likely. And that is uh, that in itself, the fact that it's got so much uh, penetration into you know the general public out there, people who don't listen to Mac Power users, it just tells you that they've really done something amazing. Now, if you go back and look at there's a there's a news article. I'm going to have to find it and get it to the show notes. But at one point, Apple was serious about buying Dropbox, and the founders of Dropbox wrote a story once they did an interview or something about meeting Steve Jobs. Did you ever read that one? Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with this? Yep. So they went they went and met with him and and Steve was trying to, you know, put his charm on, trying to get them into his reality distortion field to accept a, a really big check to put Dropbox into Apple. And uh, and these guys were pretty resistant. They felt like they were making something special and they didn't want to be subsumed by anybody. And uh at one point Jobs says to them, "You're making a mistake, you know, your business is a service, not a product." And and that is an interesting thought about Dropbox, just as a little experiment. Is it, what is Dropbox really? Is it just a service? Because as time goes by, I mean, Apple, we can already see is getting better at iCloud. I mean, they're not perfect yet, but they're getting better at it. And I think that the magic of giving really good, reliable cloud data is not something that's only going to belong to Dropbox and Google forever. I mean, it's just a natural, the technology is going to get better and, and, Someday, little developers themselves are going to be able to just buy something off the shelf, just like now you can get a WordPress install and make a blog before you had to create your own your own software to do that, right? I think at some point these cloud services are going to get like that too. So at, just, let's just imagine for a minute that you know five years from now we're recording another syncing show, and by then the technology to make syncing happen is a lot easier than it is now. Um, does Dropbox need to exist anymore? Have they created enough of, you know, a product to their service that people are still going to have it. 
I think so. I mean, I don't see Dropbox going anywhere. I think Dropbox. I think they're definitely trying. I mean, I think if you look at it, they're they're like now they're trying to become a service to app developers. You know, where they can sync data and applications. And Dropbox desperately wants to expand into photos right now. We we don't know who bought EverPix properties. Uh, We know that EverPix got a big infusion of money, and, and we think that somebody bought out their their intellectual property. I suspect that it very well could have been Dropbox because Dropbox is making a big push expanding into photos. Um, Dropbox, the big thing hurting Dropbox right now is they seem to be losing the price war. I mean, Dropbox is still paying or still charging $100 a year for 100 gigabytes of data, and they only give people two gigabytes free. And I'm not saying that Dropbox should make their service free, but when you compare their pricing strategy at this point to uh, SkyDrive and to Google Drive and to some of these other services, um, they're they're really lagging behind. So I, I I keep expecting Dropbox to make a major play. Yeah, I don't know how they can drop their prices a lot though, because that's Dropbox makes their money from subscriptions. You know, Apple doesn't make their money from you paying twenty dollars to iCloud. You know, Apple makes their money when you buy the iPhone and the Mac and the iPad. Yeah, that's true. So, Dropbox so, is, is Dropbox's only product. I mean, Google certainly has many, many, many other revenue sources besides Google Drive, and as does Microsoft. I, I do think that Dropbox needs to become more of a product. I, like, if they come up with a, like a killer photo syncing service that just works and it's got an app and it sucks the photos off your phone and manages your data, I mean, that's a product that I think a lot of people would buy. So. It'll be curious to see where they go. Where does it stand now? I think it's a mandatory thing. Everybody needs to have a Dropbox account. And a free one is good enough for a lot of people. Even just because everybody's using it, you need the ability to get in and share some stuff. Um, When we did our first show, like I think it was show four. (laughs) What what year was that? I have lost track. I think it was 2007. I don't know how long ago it was. But anyway, um, uh, I talked about a little trick I use with Dropbox. And... um, and just the other day, I had to explain this to somebody again. Should I go over this whole thing about the work sharing separate account? Yeah, and and if also you, talk about why their selective sync doesn't work for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if you've heard this before, you know, fast forward four minutes. I'm sorry, you know, but the uh, but one of the problems I had with Dropbox as opposed to SugarSync is that you know it didn't have selective sync. It was just you put a folder on your computer and you turn it on and it syncs everything in it. And they've got better at that. They actually have added a layer of selective sync since this all happened, but I'll explain why in a minute. That's not the thing. Uh, But I wanted to use Dropbox at work, and I didn't want it to have all of my Dropbox data from my personal computer because there's very little stuff I actually sync from my, you know, I'm a lawyer in my day job. I can't put a lot of the stuff in Dropbox that it's just, you know, privacy and security and ethics. And there's a lot of stuff that keeps me from just using Dropbox as like the end all be all for my practice. Uh, but there, there are files that I do want to share across on occasion. And I wanted like a kind of like a small bit of Dropbox space for that. Didn't, but and I also didn't want to just sync my whole uh, personal items over to my office PC because there's a lot of people that have access to that PC when I'm not around and I didn't want them getting into my own personal business. So the solution I came up with is I made a second Dropbox account, a free one, and I used it. I tied it to my work email instead of my personal email, and then I share a folder between that that account and my personal account, Dropbox account. So I created one called Office Sync, and it's on my personal account shared with that with that two gigabyte free account. 
And as a result, now I can share stuff across to the office PC without having to share everything. I did that faster than the first time I explained it. Yeah, you did. did. And Dropbox has since introduced, since since you did that, Dropbox has since introduced a feature called Selective Sync. So, for example, in my personal Dropbox folder, let's just say I have a dozen different folders that I have shared with various people. Some of them are private just to me. Some I've shared with David. Some I've shared with other family members. And so, for example, let's say I wanted to put that Dropbox account on my work PC then I could choose to selectively sync just, let's say, this folder and this folder because it contains, you know, work information or things that I would want at work. Selective sync is great. The problem, though, is that anybody who has administrative access to your PC or to, in this example, the computer that Dropbox is on can go in and can change the selective sync and say, yes, and I want access to this folder and 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 this folder. And this folder. Um, how likely is that? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. It depends. But the possibility is still there. So Selective Sync helps this problem. You know, if you're pretty confident that your machine is locked down and somebody can't go change your Selective Sync preferences. But I think David's solution, um, although it's it's a little wonky in terms of having it, – it's definitely a workaround, is probably the safer solution because let's just assume that someone has – and I think you have to if it's a work machine – access and infinite control with that machine, they're not going to be able to get folders that haven't been shared with that particular account. Yeah, what if your IT guy's a jerk, you know, and he wants to go in and have some fun and he gets your your folder with your kids' birthday pictures in it and deletes it. You know? Yeah. Gone. Could happen. Anyway, so just make a separate account on your work computer with like a free two gigabyte account and as so long as you're you're managing data within that small amount, you're good to go. And with Dropbox, there are ways to get um, an additional couple of gigabytes for free. Uh, you can do things like set up a, a camera share or automatic download for your camera. Um, and you can do things like like them on Twitter or, you know, go through their guided tour. And so it, it's pretty easy to get a couple of extra gigabytes for free on Dropbox if the two just isn't quite big enough. But um, once you get beyond that, it's it, usually you've you've got to go ahead and pay and, and get the 100 gigabytes. You know, I think Dropbox would probably be benefited, though, if, if maybe they would introduce a lower level tier, maybe 20 additional gigs for 20 bucks a month. Yeah. Or $20 a year, you mean? Yeah, that, that would be at $20 a year. The, uh, what do you think about uh, Dropbox stability? Have you had any problems? Um, I haven't. I haven't had any problems with, with Dropbox stability, only I've, when I've turned it off by accident. Uh, yeah, I've had friends that have issues when they store files up there that Dropbox flags as file sharing or you know copyright oh, files. Oh, yes. I will tell you, I did have that issue for whatever reason. I um, I recorded a podcast with somebody, and um, you know, Call Recorder creates these .mov files. And I just sent them the call recorder file as an MOV, and I stuck it in my public folder because I didn't have a Dropbox share with this particular person. I've never had this problem with you, David, because you and I have our own dedicated shares. But I stuck the you know two gigabyte MOV file in my public folder and said, "Here's the link. Go download it." And uh, Dropbox flagged me for that. That was Bad odd. Katie. Bad Katie. Sorry. Yeah. It was me. It was my voice. My movie. Very famous. I think Dropbox remains very relevant. Uh, they seem to be growing, and I'm interesting to see what they do to turn their service into a product. I, I mean, I, didn't they buy a mail application recently? And I do think they're up to something with photos. They're going to try and, and develop independent value and probably some other way to monetize before long, would be my guess. Okay. Right. Uh, 
I'd like to talk about another service. Uh, can I do that now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, box.net. And actually now it's called box.com because they, yeah. they went crazy and they bought the .com. So that let's, must call have been expensive. let's call it box. Let's call it box. I think box holds a really unique space in this stuff because we've got the Dropbox service, which is the one shared folder simplicity. And then uh, there's a lot of people who, for whom that is not going to work. They're going to want to have a lot more control over what gets put in the cloud. And they want to treat the cloud more as kind of a virtual server. Now, you could do that with a Dropbox account. You could have your office just get one Dropbox account and just drop everything in there. In fact, they have – I know Dropbox is expanding in that direction too. They have a Dropbox for office product. I forget what it's called. Yeah, but, Dropbox for business. It's $15 per month per user. Yeah. Uh, Box to me is kind of the leader in that space. Recently, I I reactivated my Box account and started experimenting with it. And I was even considering uh, recommending at my work that we just use it for our entire file service. But there's just the people there aren't really ready for that. <laughs> but the um, but Box really has come a long way. And if you want something where you can manage your shared storage. Uh, you should take a good look at Box because they've they've really come a long way. Like I said, they've got file sharing. You can make comments. It's got notifications of changes. So like when you're sharing a Word document, you can get notifications that Mary just changed this document. Um, it It is an option to replace a business server in a small office, and it's a totally cloud-based solution. Uh, they do uh, store the data, if you want, on your local hard drive. But you don't even have to do that. You can have it just up there. Um, I I think that this solves a problem that a lot of people are you know are using a much more expensive solution than this for. Like a lot of small businesses, you go and buy these really expensive file servers for relatively simple file sharing, and then they've got to pay the electricity bill every day, every month to keep that running. They've got to pay an IT guy to nurse it along and making sure it has all the antivirus stuff on it and all these other problems. When a box.net account, I'm never going to stop saying box.net, by the way. It's just ingrained at this point. And it's still uh, technically it, correct. It will work. Well, a box account may be all they need. And the pricing's pretty good. It's a, you know, it's kind of a work solution, really. Uh, but you get 10 gigabytes for free. And I would recommend people listening to the show, go just go get a free box account and play with it a little bit. Uh, 100 gigabytes for $5 a month. Um, you can get unlimited with a business for $15 a month, but it needs a minimum of three users. And that's the one I think that would be interesting for small businesses to look into. You know, let's say you've got, you know, four employees, 60 bucks a month. You've got all your file storage handled and you don't have to buy a server and you don't have to pay an IT guy and it's just done. Uh, they've got great apps on iOS uh, that allow you to access that stuff and share it to other apps. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I'm impressed with Box. I'm, and, and I think that they're, they're aiming at a different target than Dropbox is. I, I'm very intrigued by these cloud storage solutions. And again, David, you and I are in a little bit different business, and I think medical is as well because we have certain confidentiality uh, you know, requirements. But I am just – I can't even begin to tell you how fed up I am with our office network solution. I mean we have the traditional, I suspect, like you do. Um, you know, We have a $5,000 server that we bought just a couple of years ago that we're using it. 90% of, well, let's say 80% of what it does shares files and folders. 
you know, the other 20%, we will always have to have some kind of server because we do have some specific applications that are being used in our office that does work on a network and does have to have a data share that they can't just run on individual machines. And so we will always have to have a server for some of those things. But I just, I feel like, you know, we we are running this gargantuous server to, you know, share what is honestly, you know, less than a terabyte of mainly Microsoft Word files that, you know, are in various files and folders. And, you know, for the past two weeks, you know, there's been a problem and the DNS has been misconfigured and something went wrong and the tech guys are actually at the office right now trying to figure out what's going on and we have to pay these tech guys to manage it. And if I want to access a document and work from home, I've got a VPN into the server and then it's ridiculously slow and I'd just be better if I would just drive 20 minutes into the office and work from there. I, I just want to pull my hair out and it shouldn't be that hard. Um, and so I think a lot of people are clamoring for a secure but easy file sharing solution, and, and Box may be it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you could run a law firm off Box. To me, the problem wasn't – I mean with the document management tools and the ability to set permissions, I'd be much more comfortable running a law office off Box than I would off, off Dropbox, frankly. But the um, uh, the problem I had was – just you know, some people at work just weren't ready for that move yet. But I, I think personally, it would be so much easier for everyone if you could access this stuff from any computer. And like you said, you don't have to VPN; the files are right there off the cloud. Um, the other solutions, if you're done talking about Box, yeah, okay, um, Microsoft OneDrive, formerly SkyDrive. Um, is probably another solution that we're going to be looking at for something like this just because it integrates in so well with Microsoft Office, and that's what we use, um, and also with Windows 8. Now, we don't use Windows 8 in our particular office, but it's built into Windows 8. It is also supported on Mac, but um, it's it's built directly into Windows 8, and it features both desktop and iOS file syncing, but it is really designed to integrate in deeply with um, Office 365. And yeah, that is and that's, what we're using. And that kind of gets cast with the same cloud of, of iCloud, you know, and since it's really a platform-based solution. I understand they're on the Mac, but to really get the magic out of it, you need to be using the Microsoft Office uh, applications and the Microsoft, you know, platform. It seems to me that uh, Microsoft is trying to make its own version of iCloud. It used to be called SkyDrive, by the way. That's kind of an interesting story. They got sued oh. by somebody and uh, they had to get a new name. So OneDrive became it. Yeah. Now, their pricing is pretty reasonable. They'll give you seven gigs for free, um, and then you can add 50 gigs for $25 a year, 100 for $50 a year, or 200 for $100 a year. Um, and then they've got business pricing that starts at you know $2.50 per user per month. So it's, it's very interesting um, for especially – I mean, really what they're targeting is they're targeting businesses like our small businesses – um, that are Microsoft shops that have PCs running Microsoft, hopefully Windows 8 in there, and that are, are that they can get subscribed to Microsoft Office 365, and hopefully it will just all work in together. Agreed. I, I, I've used it because we have access to it with our work, and it's great, I guess. I mean, it seems to sync just fine. Uh, it's not a Dropbox replacement in my mind. No, and it's, it's just it's a completely kind of different thing. Yeah, I like your analogy of iCloud for Microsoft. Yeah. iCloud for PCs. Yeah. Um, the one that I think is probably most interesting, at least for me personally, is Google Drive, because Google Drive recently has gotten very competitive with their pricing. Um, you know, they'll give you 15 gigabytes for free, 
and then a hundred gigabytes is only two bucks a month and a terabyte is only 10 bucks a month and it goes up from there. And you and I use Google Drive all of the time because we use Google Docs to, to basically run the show. And But you can put anything in there. You can put photos in your Google Drive. You can put um, videos. You can put PowerPoint presentations. You can put keynote documents. You can put Word files that it will convert into um, you know the Google Docs formatter that you can save as is. You can put PDFs. Um, and if you've already got a Google account, you've already got one. Yeah, and you know, think about that for nine ninety nine a month, one hundred and twenty dollars a year, you've got a terabyte of online storage, and maybe you've got you know five hundred gigabytes of photos. That's half your storage, and you you got all your photos up. Yeah. Now Google, uh, um, through the Google Plus, they have this feature. It makes me a little nervous, but um, Google is trying to get into the photo business as well. Uh, Google Plus gives you the ability to auto backup your photos on iOS, and we probably should have, but I don't think we did talk about this um, in our iOS show or in our photo management show. Um, but you can turn this on. I think it pops up as soon as you download the Google Plus app for, for iOS. Um, and you can turn on auto backup, which will back up everything on your camera roll on your iPhone and your iPad, and it will count against that 15 gigabytes of free storage, but that's still a lot of storage, and it will back up all of your photos. So if if you have someone who is not backing up their photos or has maybe run out of their five gigabytes of free space and is not otherwise doing it, if you don't mind uploading your photos to Google, at least they're there. They're somewhere safe. Yeah, and that, Ish, that last part safe-ish. is the one. Yeah, that last part's the one that kind of gets me is, do you want to upload all your pictures to Google? I mean, that's, you know, as opposed to Apple, they make their money selling information and serving up ads. Well, I will answer that question by telling you that I personally do not, but I also understand and make a point to back up my photos and I take care of that. Um, But any, but if somebody given the option of backing up my photos to Google or backing up my loved one's photos to Google versus potentially losing all of their photos, then yes, I would in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. That's a good answer. I I don't know. I don't know that there's necessarily a right and wrong answer to this. But I think there needs to be an educated answer. I mean, when you think about it, you shouldn't just blindly give all your stuff to Google. But if you're okay with it, then that's all right. But as long as you go into it knowingly. <laughs> um, I, I have not personally researched the degree of privacy I would have over the stuff I store on my Google Drive. So as opposed to saying I'm going to put it all on Google+, Plus, if I were just to buy a terabyte of space with Google Drive and save it there, is that protected or is that also going to the Google machine? I don't know. Do you? Well, and I should point out that your photos don't automatically get posted on Google+. And I'm not sure if I made that clear. You're just – they're getting automatically uploaded to Google so that you can easily post them to Google+. Yeah, but they're so connected to a essentially a social sharing site that I'm sure they're processing them anyway. Well, I'm not sure, but I would assume that they're doing something with those photos. Please email David. Yeah. Well, I mean, somebody will probably know the answer to that, but I – I would feel more comfortable just paying for a terabyte of storage space and saving them there than putting them in Google+. Plus. Okay. But a lot of I people think, aren't going to do that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so, but, but Google Drive is, is much more reasonable than some of the competitors. And, like, I don't know if you could buy a 10-terabyte plan from Dropbox, for instance, and you certainly couldn't do it for $1,200 a year. 
most people aren't going to need 10 terabytes, but yeah, you can. But, you know, it's, but that's just an example of something that Google has the bandwidth to provide that just nobody else can. Um, another option, and I think Tom Merritt, who was our guest on last week's show, was talking about this, is Amazon Cloud Drive. And we're all very familiar with Amazon for S3 storage, and you know some geeks may be using that for backup, and they can be very competitive pricing for their S3 storage or um, for their Glacier storage. But um, Amazon Cloud Drive, if you've got an Amazon account, they'll give you 5 gigabytes for free or 20 gigabytes for $10 a year. And their plans go all the way up to 1,000 gigabytes. But um, you can store pretty much anything you want up there. But they have special plans if you want to store music. So Amazon, you know, as they know, they have a cloud music player. So any of the music that you buy from Amazon is automatically going to be stored there. Your videos that you buy from Amazon are going to be stored there. Um, but they'll also let you import 250 songs for free. Or for 25 bucks a year, they'll allow you to import – Remember we said iTunes match limits was 25,000? They added a zero. Yeah, they added a zero, 250,000. So, um, and I think this is what Tom uses because he gets a lot of his music from Amazon or where he gets elsewhere. He just brings into the Amazon cloud because Tom was mentioning that he uses all kinds of different devices on all kinds of different platforms and iTunes isn't there, but Amazon is. Last time I checked, Amazon Cloud Drive did not have the iTunes match functionality. You actually had to upload the songs. I believe that so is true. So that's that. That'd be quite a bit of work, actually, putting two hundred and fifty thousand songs up in the cloud. Yeah, but you only do it once. And if you've already bought a bunch of music from Amazon, then you don't have to worry about it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, looking back over the years, this has continued to get easier, and there are more competitors now. And it's interesting to me that different competitors kind of have a different take on the cloud. Yeah. But I don't know where it's going to go next. Let's talk about uh, security in the cloud for a minute. Um, we've, we've talked about all these services. You know, the fact is, any data you put in a cloud service, if someone has, uh, barring two-factor authentication, which is hopefully going to become increasingly a thing, but at least for most of these services right now, if someone has two pieces of data, which would be your username or your email and your password, anything you put in there is available to them. And I think a lot of people choose not to think about that too much. Well, most of these services offer two-factor authentication. Google does, Dropbox does, and and you should. You should turn on two-factor authentication on all of these services. I bet it's a small percentage of the people using them are actually using two-factor authentication. Right. But, you know, when you start thinking about it, just like um, – with the legal thing, I, I hear from lawyers uh, that listen to our show all the time, and some of them say, you know, forbid, how could you put anything in Dropbox that has anything to do with your practice? And then I have other ones that write and say, I've got my whole practice in Dropbox, get over it. And But, but the fact is that with these services, you are putting your data somewhere on the Internet that is technic or potentially accessible to third people third parties. So I think you should at least consider that when you decide what types of data you put into these services. Like yep. tax re tax returns. I'm not going to put my tax returns on Dropbox. I've got all the authentication uncovered. I've got all the great passwords. I switch them, but I just don't think it's a good place for that stuff. Yeah, I understand that. I'll tell you though, that I will be much more likely to put my data in these cloud services before I'll put somebody else's data in the cloud services. Um, 
for me personally, at some point, I've realized that there are so many dangers out there on the Internet and my data is accessible in so many places. I mean, my gosh, I put my tax returns in the mailbox and how many hands did those go through before they they got sent to whoever they got sent to? Um, yeah. OK, I actually e-filed, but then I had to put supplemental stuff in the mailbox. But you get my point. Um, yeah. You know, so, I, I am – everybody's got to make the decision that's that's right for them. Some of that stuff you just have to let go of. Um, and some of that stuff I have let go of for my personal stuff. And, and like you, I agree. I haven't put my tax returns up in the cloud yet. But I've got so much other stuff up there. But I've made that choice for me. I'm not going to make that choice for somebody else. But how do I know – I mean a lot of the data is up there anyway, David. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I do think it's something you should at least consider. Yeah, I think it does need to be considered. Um, and if if family members have your personal data and it's going places, I was on my dad's computer the other day and um, I noticed that he had my social security number for a legitimate reason that it was syncing somewhere and he was syncing it in plain text. And I flipped out and I said, let's have a conversation about this. You know, yeah. this needs to be in one password and a secure note in this, and this is where it needs to go. Uh, he's like, well, what's the big deal? I'm, yeah. Yeah. Th- that stuff could be anywhere. You have like a special voice when you do your dad impressions. Do, yeah. You haven't met him. Yeah. But you do have a voice you put on for it. Is it yeah. Is it like a Homer Simpson voice? A, a little bit, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that's really very nice to your dad. <laughs> he doesn't listen. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, if you're going to put stuff in the cloud, give some thought to security. And there's some other things you can do. For instance, if you want to put um, some financial data up there and it just makes a lot of sense for you, you can always encrypt it first before you put it up. You know, on the Mac, you can save a file as a sparse image or you could you can create an encrypted disk image. And we've talked about all the stuff on the show before. And then you can put that up in your Dropbox or your Box account or whatever. And that way, if the bad guys get access to it, then there's another wall between them and your data. So have a strategy about it. Don't put everything willy-nilly up there. Um, I mean, there was an event, I guess it was about two years ago now, where Dropbox did an update and they just made some kind of mistake. And if you just went to their website and you knew the person's email account, I believe, it gave you access to all of their data. Yeah, I think the issue was if you had their username, any password you put in would let you in. Yeah. So, you know, and and it was an innocent mistake and they fixed it very quickly. But, you know, (laughs) that's a real to me, that was a real splash of cold water thinking, okay, I'm relying on somebody else now when I put it up into the cloud like that. And I I think the services are very useful and it's worth it. I'm not going to stop using them, but I am going to do it with a little thought. Well, we've gone for over an hour now. I do want to take a quick break um, and talk about our exclusive sponsor one more time for this episode, and that is our good friends over at Smile. And I get to tell you a little bit about their PDF Pen apps for iOS. And I use PDF Pen for iPhone and PDF Pen for iPad mm, probably almost as often as I use PDF Pen for Mac. And the beauty of that is the syncing that happens behind the scenes, both with iCloud, with Dropbox, with Box, with Google Docs, with Evernote, um, because PDF Pen has the ability to save and retrieve PDFs directly from any of those services, as well as with a computer with a Wi-Fi uh, connection to transfer between iTunes, FTP, Transporter, WebDAV. I mean, they have just built it all in. So you have uh, a, a document in PDF Pen 
for your Mac, you are going to be able to sync that and share that with PDF Pen for iPad. And PDF Pen for iPad is incredibly powerful application for iOS. You can read and edit PDF documents. So if somebody sends you a document on your phone, you can just open it up right in PDF Pen for iPad. If you've already got a PDF Pen document saved, you can sync it right on over. Um, you can retrieve and save PDF documents from any of these various cloud services. You can add text to these documents. So if I've David has emailed me something that I need to look at and I need to sign it and send it right back to him, I can do that over lunch. I don't even need to be in the office or sitting at a Mac. He can email it to me. I can open the email in PDF Pen. I can drop my signature into it, uh, date, sign, and email it right back to him all in less than a minute, all using PDF Pen for either iPad or iOS. It's absolutely amazing. Like David said, if there's text in the documents you can uh, and you find a typo, you can correct that. You can move and resize and delete images. Um, you can even save frequently used images. Like I've saved a copy of my signature. I've saved a copy of my initials. Um, things that you're going to reuse. And if somebody does send you one of those PDF forms that you can fill out, maybe they have a copy of PDF Pen Pro for Mac and they've created one of those PDF editable forms, you can fill it out and send it right back to them. Um, so PDF Pen is probably my favorite way to review app, uh, PDFs. A lot of times um, I'll get big, long PDFs of documents that I need to review or uh, course materials for a class, and I love just being able to skim through them with PDF pen and be able to highlight documents with my finger or with a stylus um, and sync those back and forth between my various devices wherever I may be. So if you like PDF pen for the Mac, you are absolutely going to love PDF pen for the iPhone and iOS. Um, this guy, Max Sparky, did some videos for them that you can find on their site at smilesoftware.com slash PDF pen uh, slash iPad or slash iPhone. Uh, so you should go check those out. You can find PDF pen for iPad and iPhone in the App Store. Uh, PDF pen for iPad is available for $14.99, so it is an absolute or you can just grab PDF Pen for iPhone for $4.99. So, and you can have all of the power of PDF Pen just in your pocket. So uh, check it out. Check out some of David's videos. And thank you to Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users. Hey, I'd like to talk uh, we, you know, on the security subject. Let's switch to the idea of a personal cloud. And that's kind of an emerging thing. This is a new thing since the last time we talked about this. And the, the, you know, the leader in this area for me, and they are a sponsor, full disclosure, is Transporter. Uh, so the idea behind Transporter is instead of paying Dropbox and put the data on their hard drives, is that you have a hard drive in your own house, it's connected to the network, and you can control what's on it. Like you can just copy stuff directly onto it from your computer, and then you can access it from the world via the cloud. And that's kind of a completely different take on how to manage this stuff. And I, I think it's kind of great because I'm, you know, because of my day job, I am concerned about protecting uh, confidential data. Yeah. I mean, I use the transporter all of the time for this type of thing. I mean, they've got it set up so where you can sync specific documents. I synced my, my documents folder to them. Um, I, I use it quite a bit, or I guess I should say we use it quite a bit for, for podcast production. When when you send me one of these big, long .mov files, particularly because we've had the problem with Dropbox before, um, 
you usually I think you've got a Hazel rule set up where it gets saved to your transporter folder, um, which you've shared with me. So then it gets synced to my transporter folder. And the beauty of that is because these are such big files, that initial sync from my computer to my transporter or your computer to your transporter um, is happening over your local network. So it's very fast. And then you can grab your computer and head out the door, you know, and then the sync from your transporter to my transporter, depending on the size of the file, may may take an hour or so, may take some time depending on the, the upload connection. But we don't actually have to be here for that or our computers don't actually have to be on for that because it's just going transporter to transporter, which is nice. Yeah, the other nice thing is you can put as big a hard drive into the system as you want, where the other cloud services, the pricing models were always contingent upon the size of the drive, like the best the best numbers we had from that section of the show was $120 a year for a terabyte uh, of Google cloud storage, um, where you can get a terabyte drive for, um, what is it going to cost you now? About 70 bucks or so (laughs) attach it to your transporter. And you've got that done one time and it's, it's saved up there. Uh, Now now I will say, you know, cause they've got the transporter sync product where you just plug in your own, USB hard drive and, and you get to pick the capacity. Um, I, I will say to, to check out their website because there are some hard drives that have issues with the transporter sync. Um, there's some particular hard drives that they know don't work. So there is a, a support article on their website. And um, I think Allison Sheridan was, was mentioning, you know, she found out that if it was a hard drive that was already partitioned, that it may not work. So you just want to make sure that, that you've got the right type of hard drive um, that's going to work with the transporter sync. And so there's some guidance on their website about how to set that up. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to upgrade one of the transporter drives. And I have two transporters, and one of them has like a 360 or 320 in it. And I'm going to upgrade it to a terabyte. So I'll report back on that. But uh, that's the actual transporter device with the drive embedded in it. Uh, the The thing they're getting interesting that makes this really interesting to me, at least, is that Transporter is taking a page from the cloud services handbook, and they're suddenly starting to show up in iOS apps where you can access your transporter data. You know, they have an API and they're working with developers. In fact, you know, from what I've seen of these guys, they're working pretty aggressively with developers. So I suspect that in not too distant time in the future, Transporter is going to be one of the more common syncing solutions that you find in your iOS apps. And that, to me, really opens up the device in a lot more ways. Have you got any apps yet that are syncing with Transporter? I don't think I have any that I'm allowed to talk about. Okay. Wow. That that was kind of secretive. Mm. Um, I I think some people have announced – Transporter has certainly announced their API. And um, there are some developers – can I say some friendly developers that are yeah. are working on uh, on updating their apps for Transporter? But I, but as of the recording of this show, I don't think that's been made public yet. I've I've got that a uh, chunky comic book reader, and I've got some old comics in CBR format, and that does Transporter. So, and I didn't even realize it till I had started up because I had saved these old comics to my Transporter kind of as an offsite backup, and sure enough, just pulled them right in. So it works great. I, I think that's heading this way. So. Uh, these types of devices that you can plug in at your home, uh, put your cloud storage up there and pull it down. Now, uh, they that will require when I access that that data from offsite to, from the the data to go up to the internet from my home server and then back down to me. So it could cause a delay. It just depends on what you know that the cloud services are providing. 
Well, and the speed, of course, is going to be dependent on kind of where the bottleneck is in that network. Um, you know, is it wired or is it wireless? Is there congestion on your local network? How fast is your broadband connection? Um, and then how fast is the person receiving it? And, and so there are a lot of variables that can come into play with that. But the good news is that data is always in your control. You know, getting back to the security thing, the hard drive is in your possession. And if you decide you don't want that on the cloud anymore, you can unplug the drive and you can turn it off. I mean, it's it's entirely within your control. And I, I really like that. And and then, that you know, there's a the whole other backup. There's some other elements. And I don't want this to turn into an ad spot. But the transporter to me is a very interesting technology that could turn a lot of the stuff on its head in the coming years. Yes, I I think I think this is where it is heading. Um, it's it's also you know just in full disclosure they they are a sponsor um, and it is a new technology uh, and I think with each revision it's getting better and better and better. I've been very happy with with my transporter, but you need to make sure that it's a solution that that's going to work for you. Um, if you don't have a particularly fast internet connection, then you may find that there's some lag time. If you're using really large files you may find that there's some lag time. I know we've had some people write in and tell us that they've had some problems using it because of, of issues with spotlight search or having to, you know, trying to sync really large data sets like iTunes and iPhoto libraries to it. And that's something that I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about. Um, there are probably some things that you shouldn't try to sync. And I want to, whether it's on the transporter or whether it's on other devices. And I want to talk about that a little later in the show as well. Yeah. Another one that uh, a competitor of transporter is, is Pogo Plug. I haven't used one of those in a while. I don't know. I mean, like the transporter has everything self-contained. I think wasn't it uh, James Floyd Kelly, who, Geek Dad, who was telling yeah. us he used Floyd, uh, Pogo Plug? Yeah, that's right. And I, as I understand, that one plugs to an existing drive, so that's more like a transporter sync than the actual transporter. Um, there's also the ability to use local synchronization and that is still a thing. You know, when we started the show, we talked about how that was used to be the thing and now it's just kind of a thing, but I, I still use local synchronization. I just had this big trial and, uh, I was in court every day and the people in my office were still working on the file on the office network and I could access that remotely and blah, blah, blah. But you know, when you're in the middle of court, you really want to just have the stuff locally on your drive in case something comes up. And so I set up a Chronosync rule. And we've talked about Chronosync actually pretty recently on the show, just within the last couple of months. Chronosync is really the premier Mac app for comparing data between two Macs and making sure they match each other. And they can do that bilateral. They can sync both ways or they can sync it just one direction. So I was doing that with this when I was syncing one direction from the office network. And so every time I'd get back to the office, I would just fire up Chronosync and it would look at the network drive for the, the particular case I was working on. And I had a folder, a local folder on my Mac, and it would compare to that. And if there was anything new on the office network side, it just uploaded it to my Mac and just pulled it over. And it was very quick after the first time I did it because there would only be a few files that changed or or were added every time between these sinks. But I got in the habit of every evening when I get back from court and I'd be doing whatever I need to do to get ready for the next day, I would just have it run this rule for me and Chronosync would pull it over very quickly. Now, were you doing one-way syncs in that case where you were only going from the office network to your local computer? Yes, yes. Because when I'm in trial, I'm not writing new documents. I'm on my feet. So... I just wanted to make sure that like if like there was somebody at the office writing additional jury instructions, I would make sure those would get pulled over to my local machine. Okay, that makes sense. 
Um, it's, it's a great product, Chronosync. It's like $40, lifetime guarantees, and it just does that, what I just explained, really well. So that's another synchronization that used to be the synch, <laughs> which is funny because now we have to wait till the end of the show to even mention it because things have changed so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we haven't talked about NAS drives. Yeah, we haven't. Like, yeah. How do you see that as a syncing solution? Well, uh, you know, you and I have have Drobos and I I use that pretty much just like a big pot of external storage. So for practical purpose, my, my Drobo is really no different than, um, you know, just a very large external hard drive on my network. But there are some apps, I believe, that you can get for the Drobo, and I haven't experimented with them. Um, and definitely with these Synology disk stations, which I, I haven't experimented with, but I know that um, Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab loves those Synology drives because you can really set up your own kind of cloud service with the Synology and, and set up almost a, a Dropbox-type clone over on the Synology and, and sync data back and forth to it. And there's some very powerful app features over on the Synology. I know Drobo is working on bringing some of those things over to the Drobo platform. Um, but there's some interesting stuff going on over there with Synology and syncing and platforms. I wonder if when we do the show again in two or three years, if the the narrative will be, you know, we went from the local ChronoSync storage to the Dropbox Cloud Sync storage to the personal cloud sync storage that's represented by those types of solutions. I definitely think a larger part of that solution will be. I think there's certainly a place for cloud storage. I think services like iTunes Match make a lot of sense. I think syncing certain bits of information through iCloud make a lot of sense. But I I think we will see when we do the show again in two to three years, a lot of pulling back from these cloud storage solutions and people wanting more control over their data and wanting more of their data on their local networks. And I think that's why you're seeing these solutions like Transporter and Pogo Plug and and those types of solutions. Yeah, Pogo Plug didn't used to be this type of solution. They that's a product that's really changed over the years. Yeah. Well, I I am one of those people. I I want to have more control over it and um it, that's kind of a running thing on the show if am I just paranoid or not, but I I really like the idea of having cloud storage that I control. Yeah. The, so I I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, the one topic that I do want to cover before we wrap up and I know we're running short on time here is uh, there's still a few areas where syncing is still hard. Um, and I, I put these in the outlines as, as what are the things that you shouldn't sync? Because we are we are all looking for solutions to these, and I have yet found good ones. And, and the three that I put in the outline is um, I have yet to find a good syncing solution for um, iTunes libraries, iPhoto libraries, and particularly package files. Um, files that are, are constantly being written to or files that may be open at the same time or being accessed by, by the same people. Um, I think Apple is really going to have to give us a better solution for iTunes and iPhoto sharing than they have. And I think they're starting to with, with iTunes Match. Um, but package files are still presenting a problem for people trying to sync and share those package files. And people don't even realize when they're, when they're getting into syncing package files. So it's fraught with peril because if you don't realize you're putting a package file up on the cloud and if it corrupts it, that's really bad. Like, let's say you have a Scrivener file. It's a, you know, Scrivener is a novel writing tool, but it's a, the saved image is a, is a package file. And some of these cloud services are going to chew it up. Well, and, so, and sometimes the cloud services don't do a good job with determining when that package file has changed. Because yeah. with, with that Scrivener file, you've really got a whole bunch of little files inside that one big file. And I think I, the new iWork files are like this as well. 
And yeah. if you've changed something, well, maybe only something inside that package has changed and it may not trigger a sync because it may not see the whole file has changed. It's that being said, I, I've, I've actually been syncing Scrivener uh, over Dropbox and I'm not having any problems. Uh, they've got that part figured out, at least with respect to whatever data is happening in Scrivener. Yeah. I remember but, um, reading some issues with, with Gmail and mailing package files. Yeah, just mailing package files in general is, is trouble. Like it, some of the new iWork, uh, iWork documents, a lot of people are having trouble with that. So that's that's still hard, and I don't I don't know that I have a good solution for people because um, I've had a lot of people write and say, well, isn't this the solution to how I share my iTunes library or my iPhoto library? Is is can't I just stick it on my my NAS or can I just stick it on my transporter or stick it in Dropbox and then I can share it with everybody? And I think the solution to that is no, because yeah. um, you know the way that these these files are are put together and and the way that people access these files is it, it's just fraught for corruption. I think that the iTunes and iPhoto problem has to be solved by Apple because it's really their problem that they created. They have to solve it. And like you said, iTunes match works great for music, but at what point do they have enough of a deal with the TV companies that you'll just, your, your TV stuff will just sink over. Now I understand you can buy a TV show from Apple and they've solved that problem. If I buy an episode of the Americans from iTunes, it's available on my iPad, my iPhone. It, it's, it's it's in essence syncing for me. Well, you but have to re-download go, it. That's not truly sync. Well, yeah, that's true. But I mean, for media, that's that's kind of how you do music too. But if I go out and buy the DVDs and rip them, it's not going to just automatically sync for me. And I don't know. I, I suspect that they'd love to solve that problem, like an iTunes match solution. Uh, I'm sure there's bandwidth issues for that, but I think even more importantly, there's legal issues. They got to convince the, the content owners to let them do that, which I'm not sure is going to happen anytime soon. Well, so the so- that's solution- where Dr. Dre just comes in and starts bashing heads. Yeah. <laughs> well, the solution really is, and the people who are doing this now are are divesting themselves from iTunes and iPhoto. They're taking the pictures and the music and the video out of iTunes and they're they're putting it up in the cloud in some other format which is more, you know, universal in terms of letting them see it from other platforms. And, you know, and that's just the way it's going to be until Apple can figure out a better solution for that. Um the package stuff, hopefully that goes away at some point, but I I'm with you. You got there there still are some plates some gotchas in all of this. Well, you know, David, one of my biggest fears when we started the show is that we would run out of things to talk about. And uh, I think this is the second or third time that we've covered sync now. We did it in one of our very early shows. We did it um, almost 100, not quite 100 episodes ago. And and we're doing it now again in episode 195. And that's because this is such an ever-evolving topic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's 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 fascinating to see it develop. I, I remember when this stuff was really, really hard, and now it's a lot easier. Uh, let us know what you think about syncing and where you're running into problems. We're going to do that live show. Send us an audio comment. We'll put it in there, and we can talk about it further. And I, I think, Katie, I'm excited about syncing. I'm such a geek. Uh, I just, I, I'm, like I said earlier, now all of a sudden we're starting to get home solutions where we can manage this ourselves. I think the syncing capabilities are becoming more available to bigger and smaller companies. So people are going to do things like look at the Omni group. We didn't even mention them. They came up with their own syncing solution for OmniFocus and some of their other uh, software platforms and they built it themselves. And that's going to become more and more common. So it's just going to be really interesting to see where all this goes. Uh, So I guess we're committed. We got to do the show for another two years so we can talk about syncing again. Yep. All right. You're stuck with us, gang. All right. We'll, we'll be back. Let's do this another two years from now. Put it on your calendar.
Okay. Um, so, Katie, where can you find us? Well, you can find links to everything we talked about in this episode at our website. That's at MacPowerUsers.com or at the 5x5 site at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us email to feedback at MacPowerUsers. And you can find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd and I'm at Max Barkey. All right. Hope to see you all at MacPowerUsers Live. Don't forget to send in your audio comments and we will see you next time. 